This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from markfiore.com, The Rachel Maddow Show, The Majority Report, On the Media, Media Matters, The Jimmy Dore Show, a classic clip from The Al Franken Show, and The Young Turks. And a note for our more sensitive listeners, this episode does contain quotes and recordings of conservative media, which may induce nausea. 500 feet below an Iowa corn silo is the most advanced weapon of mass destruction ever created. Distractotron. Primary contest update activated. Now deployed to the surface. Distractotron confronts growing economic inequality. Rick Santorum eating chicken wings. Rick Santorum eating chicken wings. Distractotron addresses impending economic doom in Europe. Gingrich weeping. Gingrich weeping. Mother-son emotion alert. Distractotron tackles unrest and thousands killed in Syria. Candidate at Homestyle Diner. Homestyle Diner. Flannel visible. Flannel visible. And what of the quest for freedom in Egypt? Free cookies at the caucus. Free cookies at the caucus. Distractotron confronts the defense bill's indefinite detention of citizens. Santorum sweater vest alert. Sweater vest alert. No matter the importance, no matter the crisis, Distractotron fights for spoof, just fluff, and the American demise. Romney eating spaghetti, Ron Paul supporters shaving, Distractotron, love Bachman, love Bachman, don't go. It was all going too well. The economy was starting to get back on its feet. The unemployment rate was coming down. The stock market was hitting record levels. His opponents were slinging mud at each other on the campaign trail in a particularly nasty way, and it seemed to be sticking. It was all going too well. Did you see what happened today? An old quote from President Obama's past has resurfaced, and it could change everything for this year's presidential election. It is from 1990. Barack Obama, at the time, a community organizer in Chicago, he gave an interview published in a uh, newspaper called the Illinois Daily Herald, talking about his work, and, and, and a quote that he gave during that interview has sent the right wing into all caps, OMG, not LOL, hysterics. They say this is the proof they have been searching for for four years now that Barack Obama obviously hates America. The 22-year-old quote appears to have been first posted this week by a conservative blog called Ironic Surrealism. But since then, it has rocketed around the right-wing blogosphere at ludicrous speed. Look at the headline for that quote here. Face it, he hates you. Obama in 1990, we're going to reshape mean-spirited and selfish America. Or this one, uh, young Obama at Harvard, transform mean-spirited America. This one. 1990 Obama interview, America is mean-spirited. This one too, Obama in 1990, America too mean-spirited on race. Yeah, you get the idea. This is awful for Obama, right? This quote, I mean, they say it's so bad. This must be how you get bingo in a game of Barack Obama hates America bingo. 
you want to know the awful thing President Obama said 22 years ago that's ruining his chances for re-election? Brace yourself. Ready? Quote, Hopefully more and more people will begin to feel their story is somehow part of this larger story of how we're going to reshape America in a way that is less mean-spirited and more generous. This is the smoking gun? Apparently this is the smoking gun. As commenter uh, Stephen Stralka noted at our Matto blog today, According to the right, when America asks President Obama, why should we vote for you? President Obama can reply, well, off the top of my head, I saved the American auto industry and took out bin Laden. Well, yes, but you once said you wanted people to be nicer to each other. Seriously, this is what they're all upset about? Yes, seriously, this is what they're all upset about. Wow. And actually, even though it is the right-wing blog world that is upset about this quote this week, the Fox News Channel business thing, their business sub-channel, um, was trumpeting this quote as far back as November. They were using it as exhibit A for why President Obama had, according to them, lost independent voters. Remember, this is the smoking gun. He's asked a question about racial minorities and race relations in America, and he responds by saying, quote, hopefully more and more people will begin to feel their story is somehow part of this larger story of how we're going to reshape America in a way that is less mean-spirited and more generous. That is what the right says proves how much Barack Obama hates America. If you're thinking that quote maybe reminds you of something else, it may be this famous saying by America's most famous communist, authoritarian, radical, left-wing, lesbian, polyglot, jihadist, professor, Kenyan revolutionary. We've come far, but I think we need a new harmony among the races in our country, and we're on a journey into a new century and we've got to leave that tired old baggage of bigotry behind. Where is it written that we must act if we do not care, as if we're not moved? Well, I am moved. I want a kinder and gentler nation. Kinder? Gentler? Is he saying we are ungentle and unkind? Remember how mad everybody was when George H.W. Bush showed how much he hated America with that kinder, gentler nation stuff? The he hates America outrage for George H.W. Bush was dwarfed only by the further outrage when that radical son said basically the same thing. So today I'm outlining the next steps of welfare reform, the next actions we must take to build a more just and generous nation. Come on! Why does America have to get more just and more generous? We're unjust now? We are ungenerous now? Why are you trying to change everything? Why does George W. Bush hate America so much? Remember the outrage against them? Remember the face it America, he hates you headlines against the Bush family when they said stuff like that? The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestoftheleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. 
By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help. Thank you for holding my head up late at night While I was busy waging wars on myself You were trying to stop the fight As you know, CPAC happened last week. CPAC is the conservative something-something-something conference. Um, You don't need to know more than this. This is sort of like uh, where conservatives go to make themselves feel like their views are in the mainstream as opposed to being... Uh, completely freakish. In fact, I think they also had a dating expert there to help them mate with each other um, to see if they could make their belief system even more virulent. So uh, apparently, Occupy, was it Occupy DC? Uh, They were calling it Occupy CPAC. Okay, so Occupy CPAC was outside chanting, protesting, and... Andrew Breitbart, who, if I'm not mistaken, was going to boycott CPAC because of their radical anti-gay stance until they offered him a good speaking engagement and to fly him there. So, you know, kudos to Andrew for having some measure of, of integrity uh, that at least had a price. I can appreciate that. It doesn't seem like it was a very high one, but who knows? You know, um, this is coming off of the summer when Andrew Breitbart's big government sites, which um, have been in existence, I believe, for about six years, or maybe Breitbart.com or whatever it was. It's a whole mess of sites that generate their money through the incredible lucrative use of Google ads. Uh, And by lucrative, I mean not so lucrative. And his site is not, uh, it's trafficked, but not particularly overwhelming traffic. You know, he's completely dwarfed by uh, Daily Kos, let's say. And, you know, within the context of Huffington Post, I think, I think the word is that uh, he wouldn't even be, uh, you know, a part of the most unpopular vertical of a Huffington Post. But um, in a surprisingly not publicized announcement, you can only find it in the filings. Some private investor gave him $10 million after six years, I guess. After six years, if you can show you can attract Google ads, or in other words, you can embed the API code in your columns to get Google ads, someone will give you $10 million. And it's weird because Breitbart didn't, you know, when most websites, when they raise a round of venture cap, they announce it. He didn't announce it on his site. I wonder why. But that's not the craziest thing that we have to say about Breitbart today. The craziest thing to say about Breitbart today is if I didn't mention the name Breitbart and I just said, I want you to hear this audio of a crazy person who was removed from an Occupy protest, you would listen to this audio and say, wow, that guy sounds crazy. And in fact, it is Andrew Breitbart you can hear the protesters chanting. It's not that uncommon. People protest all the time. In fact, Breitbart showed up at uh, the Netroots Nation convention 
last um, last summer. Uh, sort of they stock it, I guess. And, you know, I can understand that. You're going there because there's cameras there and you want to get your message out. But I, I can only imagine if Marcos Melitzis or if someone like myself was to act in the way that he acted, I, I, I think my parents would come and collect me or something. You know, time for an intervention. Because I'm really worried about a guy like this. I hope, I hope he doesn't have a license. I don't think a guy like this should be on the road. Listen to, you will hear Breitbart. He's the one who's doing his impersonation of, um, what was that, Mike Mar Myers' uh, character? Austin Powers. Austin Powers. But a really poor one. Oh, behave. Ho, ho, ho. Steve Pack has got to go. There's sort of that Doppler, what is it, the, that, uh, is it the Doppler effect? Or what is, that, what is that word? The reason why it sounds like he's getting away from the camera is because he's being dragged away by security. Because I think they thought he was some type of lunatic living in his car. And he has gone completely off the deep end here. Um, I imagine he is right now sitting somewhere at a desk writing in the margins in the tiny tiny you know he's one of those guys who's handing out like a sheet of paper with writing on every square inch like i have it all here documented they've all murdered they've murdered people have to behave yourself it, it, he sounds he sounds so crazy it wouldn't put it past me if the next thing that came out of his mouth was it puts the lotion on its skin it was just very weird i mean i think there's you know uh, clinical psychologists could really diagnose, diagnose this uh, better, but uh, the sort of rhythmic uh, behave yourself, behave yourself, and your murder, he's called them murderers. Um, very strange stuff, and I have to say that um, I think next stop for Breitbart is going to be a speaking tour with Victoria Jackson. Maybe there can be some type of debate. Which one of us is crazier?
the Republicans screwed up everything. Uh, if you can't sell freedom and liberty, you suck. Andrew Breitbart, conservative internet publisher, commentator, activist, and firebrand, died Thursday at the age of 43. And by suck, I mean you suck. Profoundly. As a youth, he worked quietly behind the scenes on the Drudge Report. Then, he said, after watching the press collude with President Clinton during the Monica Lewinsky scandal, that would certainly stun Mr. Clinton, Breitbart decided to go public. And I said, okay, this is a center-right nation, and this mainstream media, this allegedly neutral and objective group of people, oh, indeed they are, based out of New York and Los Angeles, where I have an apartment and a house, thank you, I'm bi-coastal, I'm hip, and I'm shallow, I know what you're up to, I go to your cocktail parties, and I hear your contempt for people from middle America, don't tell me you're neutral! He determined, he said, to go to war against his neighbors, those bicoastal elites and their pet causes. He put a young protege, James O'Keefe, on the payroll of his website, Big Government, where O'Keefe posted elaborately staged stings of Acorn, NPR, and Planned Parenthood. When O'Keefe was slammed for using shady techniques like deceptive editing that would never pass muster with mainstream journalism, Breitbart called it mainstream hypocrisy. Didn't NBC's Dateline send ringers dressed in Muslim garb to NASCAR rallies as a provocation? That must mean provocation is okay. I grew up with Abby Hoffman as an idol, Hunter Thompson and the Merry Pranksters. As long as the mainstream media tells me that it's okay when Dateline does it and when 60 Minutes does it, I'm not going to be here to criticize it when James O'Keefe did it. For most media watchers, even Glenn Beck, Breitbart's lowest moment came when he posted a snippet of a speech to the NAACP by Shirley Sherrod, a U.S. Department of Agriculture official. It made her sound racist. But just a little later on in that speech, she described finding prejudice in herself and common cause with the white farmers it was her job to serve. The White House flinched before the facts were in and fired her. This has ripped away the veil and shown us all that is wrong with politics today. Political pundit David Gergen. An ideologue injects poison into the Internet. Other people rush to judgment so they can on camera. And an administration gets stampeded and, and commits this travesty of justice. We are in the most exciting time ever in the history of media. Breitbart exulted in his outrages. And his outrage, he sought it out, as when last month he stopped by a group of drumming Occupy protesters near the Conservative Political Action Conference in Washington. Behave yourself! Behave yourself! Behave yourself! You are freaks and animals! You're freaks and animals! An odd imprecation from a man who regarded misbehavior as the better part of valor... When he died, apparently of natural causes, Twitter buzzed with the tweets of many who felt no sorrow at Breitbart's demise, among them Slate's Matthew Iglesias, who wrote, Conventions around dead people are ridiculous. The world outlook is slightly improved. Andrew Breitbart, dead. Some conservative blogs took umbrage, but probably Breitbart would not have. On Thursday, big government quoted a new conclusion he penned for his book, Righteous Indignation. He wrote, I love finding allies, and famously, I enjoy making enemies. At the end of the day, I can look at myself in the mirror, and I sleep very well at night.
As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. Writing your own headlines, ignoring your own deadlines, but now you've got to write them. All right, folks. So let's let's talk about Andrew Breitbart. Um, first off, I um, I think it's a horrible tragedy when um, any uh, children are orphaned, and apparently had four kids. Uh, I think it's four kids. Um, I didn't know Andrew Breitbart in any personal way. I mean, I knew him. We had uh, one exchange in person and a lot of exchanges over Twitter. Um, uh, and so, you know, as a human being, um, a, well, let me put it this way. I feel bad for his kids. Uh, I feel bad for uh, his wife. It is always sad when people lose uh, someone who's important to them in their life. And I have no idea. I'm going to assume that he was a good father and that he was a good husband, just because. Because uh, I have no evidence to the contrary. But the reason why I'm saying the words Andrew Breitbart have nothing to do with the fact that he was a father or a husband. The reason why I know the, the name Andrew Breitbart is for what he did publicly. And what he was in terms of an icon and what he represented. And, you know, history can decide that. I suspect history is going to forget about him in about six to eight months. But my experience of Andrew Breitbart was that he was a fairly petty guy who was smart about self-promotion uh, very good at um, attacking people's reputation, uh, had very little integrity as a journalist. And what's the proof for that? I mean, I don't know if he considered himself a journalist. Let me put it this way. He had very little integrity as a disseminator of information. And how can I establish that? Simply look at the initial reactions to the posting on his website that he had died. Whether you were on the left, whether you were a mainstream journalist, whether you were a, uh, even on the right, people thought it was a hoax. People didn't even trust his own obituary or a notice that he had died on his own website. What does that tell you about his legacy? Uh, it tells me about his legacy that he wasn't someone to be trusted with the information that you get. And as far as respect for 
people who die. Like I say, if I thought that, well, I don't know. I mean, his wife and his children uh, are not watching this. But people who um, may have some brief uh, experience with his legacy or uh, his work might be. And so I think it's important to keep the record straight. In fact, I think that he would think it was important to keep the record straight. Now, when Ted Kennedy died, Andrew Breitbart said, I'm more than willing to go off decorum to ensure this man is not beatified. Sorry, he destroyed lives and he knew it, referring to um, Kennedy. He called him a villain. He called him a big-ass motherfucker. He called him a duplicitous bastard and a prick. And he said, I'll shut my mouth for Carter. That's just politics. Kennedy was a special pile of human excrement. Now, regardless of my um, personal sense of what uh, Breitbart was, I'm not going to do that. Because I don't have the same standards that Breitbart did. And frankly, you know, I think there are uh, certainly people out there who if they died, I would have um, little hesitation saying that they were bad people who really hurt a wide range of people. You know, Dick Cheney comes to mind. Uh, I don't think Breitbart hurt that many people. Uh, I think he did hurt some people. I think he, uh, but I don't think that he was a uh, some type of super villain. I don't think he had that power. I think he was a guy who was funded by the right. Uh, he got some people fired. He called people uh, racist. Um, he was a web entrepreneur. I don't think people deserve to die for that. Um, and so I'm not in any way joyous about his death. But at the same time, I think we should just call a spade a spade. And I think Andrew Breitbart's uh, work uh, speaks for itself. And um, his tweets live on. And, uh, you know, he had already blocked me on Twitter, so I won't necessarily miss engaging with him on Twitter. I had already mourned that. Um, but, you know, I do feel bad for his uh, kid and his, uh, his kids and his wife. And just like I lament, uh, but, you know, and I hope uh, that it turns out that his cause of death was natural, whatever that meant, because I know the uh, low regard people like Rick Santorum have uh, when it was um, Whitney Houston died. Uh, and I know how much, um, you know, uh, Breitbart claimed that he didn't have any type of substance abuse. Uh, maybe he had a heart attack. I mean, the guy seemed pretty high strung to me and not terribly healthy. Um, but so this is not, um, I'm not trying to be classy here. And uh, this is probably the last time I'll ever mention Andrew Breitbart's name. 
And so, uh, you know, the, the part of me that liked to argue with people, uh, and I always had hoped that I would run into him again and uh, argue with him more, um, feels uh, sad. But, you know, my loss is irrelevant in this. And um, I don't think the world is significantly a worse place or a better place because he's gone. It's basically the same place as it always was. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Brad Herring. The Media Research Center is often cited as a conservative rival to Media Matters, and its president, Brent Bozell, is a frequent guest on Fox. This week, during a discussion on gasoline prices, Bozell claimed that U.S. oil production has fallen under President Obama. This president will say that he's allowing drilling, but he just won't give permits. Get this. Consider that oil production in this country was 10 million barrels a day when it took office. It's down to 7 million barrels a day. And here the president is giving a speech today blaming Republicans for this. Yeah. I mean, this should be an issue. He needs to be called out on this. But don't you just feel sometimes, Brent, like you're banging your head against the wall? I mean, none of this stuff is surprising. <laughs> in reality, the opposite is true. After increasing every year since 2009, oil production is at an eight-year high. Gas prices continue to rise because they are determined by a world market, not by U.S. production. Okay, in this week's Oh My God segment, you know, one of our pet peeves on the show is the media's constant, insidious penchant for making false equivalencies between the left and the right, conservatives, progressives. And a few weeks ago, we took notice of such a stomach-turning habit that many news hosts have of pretending that bigotry and ignorance is just a difference of opinion and that we can all just be palsy with the ignorant and bigoted. Like, you know, our good friend Chris Matthews who likes to have on Tony Perkins. I don't know if you told Tony Perkins, the president of the Family Research Council, the anti-science, pro-ignorance wing of the Christian coalition, and he they like to hide behind religion in order to push hatred and bigotry. Isn't he a rumored to be a closeted gay, too? And, of course, anybody who hates the yeah. gays that much is closeted, sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, so is that the kind of guy you would call your friend, Paul? Is that the kind of a guy anti-science, uh, race baits, and hates the gays uh, in public? Like, that's not a thing he yeah. keeps to himself. No, that's, a, that's what I call a lover. <laughs> <laughs> so here's how Chris Matthews introduced Tony Perkins a few weeks ago. And we played this on the show, but it's good, it's good to play again to remember. Tony Perkins is president of the Family Research Council. Tony, old pal, thanks for joining us. I hope you don't get in trouble for the, me calling you old pal, but you do come on the show quite regularly. Okay, so there's Chris Matthews calling Tony... Tony Perkins, pro ignorance, pro bigot. So uh, you know, and so and 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 upset us. We talked about this, and instead of reminding people the kind of ignorant bigot that Tony Perkins is, Chris Matthews calls him my old pal. And instead of discrediting him, he validates him. And so uh, you're like, oh come on, how bad is Tony Perkins? He's just a Christian who hates gays. So here he is from yesterday. Uh, this is just from yesterday. This is from February first. So we played that last week on our show. Mm -hmm. And then the in in the meantime, this is what Tony Perkins did just yesterday. The Islamist and the homosexuals work out of the same playbook. Uh, they know that if what they do and what they subscribe to is scrutinized, people will turn away from it. So what they want to do is they want to marginalize and eventually silence anyone who challenges their ideology and their agenda. 
Okay, so there's Tony Perkins. That's the guy. I don't know what. How did uh, Chris Matthews? What does Chris Matthews call that guy? Tony Perkins is president of the Family Research Council. Tony, old pal, thanks for joining us. That's his old pal. That's Tony's old pal. Wow. Tony, that's that's Chris's old pal. What? How does he talk? The Islamist and the homosexuals work out of the same playbook. Okay, that's his old pal. Uh, anybody uh, generally that says the homosexuals, <laughs> you know what follows is not going to be smart or good. You know, mock them all you want, but next time a gay suicide bomber hits, you won't be laughing so hard. It's the same playbook. By the they're time, fierce. They're by the, fierce, those guys. When that over-the-top float explodes... <laughs> you know what it is? I think it's he's, he play uh, Chris Matthews obviously playing by the the uh, the rules of you know keep your enemies closer. Oh, maybe that's, that's it. what it is. That's why so. the guy that mugged me last week sleeps on my couch now because I <laughs> I like to keep him close. <laughs> hey, pal, that's my mugger. Yeah, I hope you didn't get in trouble by sleeping on my couch. You're so yeah. Matthews is no dummy. So so and they, they are coming out of the same plane book because I don't know uh, if you saw they don't they don't show many of the photos of the hijackers the nine eleven other three of them wearing assless chaps and so <laughs> they are out of the same playbook. George W. Bush wants to amend our Constitution to ban gay marriage. But evidently, Bush has no problem with terrorists getting married. Right now in America, terrorist couples are plotting to sanctify their love for each other in holy matrimony and to blow up the Holland Tunnel. Call George W. Bush and tell him America doesn't need a president who is soft on terrorist marriage. Because unlike gays, terrorists can breed. Brought to you by the Coalition to Distract You from Important Issues. Ladies and gentlemen, I, it, is, it saddens me to report that uh, renowned culture warrior, prominent racist, easy, I shouldn't judge, just promoter of white privilege, Patrick J. Buchanan has written in, I think it's the American Conservative Magazine, the following missive. Entitled, Blacklisted. Not beaten. My days as a political analyst at MSNBC have come to an end. After ten enjoyable years, I am departing after an incessant clamor from the left that to permit me continued access to the microphones of MSNBC would be an outrage against decency and dangerous. I don't know about dangerous. The calls for my firing began almost immediately with the October 18th publication of Suicide of a Superpower, Will America Survive to 2025? I should add that actually this is factually incorrect. The calls for Patrick Buchanan's firing have existed for at least several years. 
back when he was talking about wise Latinas and uh, back when he was talking about, oh gosh, um, sort of how uh, minorities aren't like normal people and uh, on and on and on. Uh, what else did he say? He was sort of anti-Semitic, you know, uh, he, even in 2000, I guess uh, Jake Tapper examined uh, the fact that people wouldn't look to his uh, anti-Semitism. Um, what else did he say? Well, I mean, I, I got to say that as early as 2000, people were talking about how even before he got the job on MSNBC, that the guy was racist and anti-Semitic. But, uh, we, we, let me, uh, excuse me, I, I didn't mean to get, um, to get caught up. A group called Color of Change, whose mission statement says that it, quote, exists to strengthen black America's political voice. Claim that my book espouses a white supremacist ideology. A human rights campaign that bills itself as America's leading voice for lesbians, bisexuals, gays, and transgender people. Said that Buchanan's, quote, extremist ideas are incredibly harmful to millions of LBGT people around the world. Their rage was triggered by a remark to NPR's Diane Rehm that I believe homosexual acts to be unnatural and immoral. If my book is racist and anti-Semitic, how did Sean Hannity, Aaron Burnett, Judge Andrew Napolitano, Megyn Kelly, Lou Dobbs, <laughs> and Ralph Nader miss that? How did Charles Payne, an African-American host on Fox Radio, who has interviewed me three times, fail to detect his racism? How did Michael Medved miss its anti-Semitism? Well, let me just stop uh, here by saying um, that Michael Medved uh, might appreciate your uh, calling homosexuality unnatural, that uh, perhaps uh, Fox Radio uh, promotes ideologies like yours. And look, if you've got to be the, uh, the, uh, the, the black guy to have the you know, guy who has a problem with minorities on, helps your ratings, you do it. Um, Lou Dobbs, seriously? Seriously? Are you really citing Lou Dobbs as a bulwark against racism? Hmm. Anyways. In the 10 years I have been at MSNBC, the network has taken heat for what I have writ written and faithfully honored our contract. Um, so wait a second. I thought you just said that the calls for your resignation started on the, uh, publication of your book. Ah, never mind. You didn't need to. <laughs> Look, you got away with being a racist on TV for so long. <laughs> Is anybody going to call you out for being, uh, for misstating facts? Yet my four months absent from MSNBC and now my departure represent an undeniable victory for the blacklisters. You know, uh, I haven't been paid by uh, MSNBC in, well, more than 10 years. In fact, I've never been paid by MSNBC for anything ever. I've clearly been blacklisted. I know these blacklisters. They operate behind closed doors with phone calls. 
mailed threats and off-the-record meetings. Are all the meetings at MSNBC on the record? That's weird. Or at any business? I don't know. They work in the dark. Because as Al Smith said, nothing un-American can live in the sunlight. Goodbye, Pat. I'm sure we'll have to wait days, if not weeks, before we see you on Fox News. So, until then. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Melinda Warner. Shortly after his radio program went national in 1988, Rush Limbaugh gave an interview to a local access TV program in Connecticut. In response to a caller question, he stated, I will not allow any jokes about anybody's religion. I will not allow jokes about people's ethnic background or, or racial background. I won't mess around at all with, with the, the private beliefs, faith, religion, race. A very noble sentiment. But how does it compare to Russia's more recent comments, such as... If it was okay and even laudatory to call Bill Clinton America's first black president, why can't we call Imam Obama America's first Muslim president? Or this about the president of China. They, they normally, you know, some translator every couple of words, but Hu Jintao was just going... James Murdoch stepped down this week as chief of News International, Rupert Murdoch's British newspapers, though he'll still be working elsewhere in his dad's media empire. James' departure follows revelations by British police investigator Sue Akers that the company had bribed multiple police officials, not just a few cops, and not just at the News of the World, but at the Sun tabloid, too. All this bad news in Britain has renewed speculation over here that the Murdochs may have run afoul of U.S. law, specifically the Watergate-era Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. The FCPA was penned to punish U.S.-based businesses who say bribed foreign prime ministers for fighter jet contracts. But over time, American courts have broadened the scope of the FCPA. When the News Corp phone hacking scandal first broke, most experts agreed that the scale of the scandal was too small to interest U.S. prosecutors. But ProPublica's Jake Bernstein says that assessment is old news. Yeah, that changed this week when Sue Akers, who was the Deputy Assistant Commissioner of the Metropolitan Police in London, testified before a parliamentary commission. Payments have been made not only to police officers, but to a wide range of public officials. There also appears to have been a culture at the sun of illegal payments, and systems have been created to facilitate those payments, whilst hiding the identity of the officials receiving the money. What's particularly problematic for News Corps is there's a part of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act called the Books and Records Provision. It's sort of this weird catch-22 where if you don't properly account 
for the bribes that you have been giving to foreign officials, that can put you in quite a bit of trouble. <laughs> and so it seems like Akers at least was sort of hinting at the fact that there was a pattern where people at the papers knew that this was wrong and that they weren't properly accounting for these payments to government officials. So that could be quite problematic. But the thing is, is that either the evidence of corruption is broad enough to fall under this act in the United States or it isn't. When will we know? These kinds of investigations can take years. Part of what Justice wants to know, and uh, apparently News Corp is investigating this themselves, is how widespread is this? Is this just two newspapers in Britain, or was this happening at other media outlets uh, across the company and across the world? It's clear that News Corp has been handing over material to the police, and presumably they would hand over material to the FBI and to the Justice Department as well. What Murdoch wants to do is draw a line under this and say, this was the past, these behaviors were terrible, and we don't do that anymore, we've got new procedures in place so that this won't happen again. And the way you can do that and convince a government to go easy on you is by making a clean breast of the whole affair. So... I think if if there was other stuff going on, then both governments are going to know about it fairly soon. In earlier testimonies, we have seen evidence that Rupert Murdoch has been actively involved in all of his companies with daily morning phone calls. I just don't know how he can stay with the company and yet now declare the company to be clean when it would seem he would have known of these practices all along. And the fact that James Murdoch has stepped down from the company's British properties doesn't really mean anything. Well, there's been some turnover at the newspapers themselves. I mean, he closed News of the World, of course, and I think, I mean, that's going to be a balancing act for Murdoch is sort of how do you make the case that this behavior is a thing of the past, but keep all the same people in place. Some people are going to probably have to be sacrificed. There's only so many executives you can ship to publications in Australia. <laughs> There are definitely shareholders of News Corp who are actively asking for changes at the top. And if there was a settlement with justice over the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, then those calls will probably even get louder. Up for any prognostication, Jake? <laughs> if I had to guess, I would guess that there will be a settlement, that it will happen sometime in the next year or two, that this won't go to trial and that it will ultimately, given the size of the company, not be that big a deal. So we'll all wake up and find out this was just a dream. <laughs> yes. Jake, thank you very much. Thank you, Brooke. Jake Bernstein is a business and financial reporter for ProPublica. I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able, as anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong, progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Jake, 
James Murdoch, who is the son of Rupert Murdoch, has decided to step down uh, from basically the News International. It's the uh, British newspaper subsidiary. And um, he is now going to focus on television. Uh, so, oh, wow, what an emotion. <laughs> so he's basically going to move from Europe to New York City and focus on the television portion of this huge media empire. <laughs> Which the TV version. Uh, portion of it is much larger. Definitely. New York is of course much more of a center than London. I know that within News Corp for because of Rupert Murdoch, well, you know, this portion of the business in London is prized and it's a very important thing and it was a stepping stone to actually taking over the company. So it is a demotion uh, and at least for some period of time he's going to have to go to Siberia known as New York, <laughs> you know, and be outcast into the TV division, etc. So, like, it has had some consequences, and the board is, the, whoever is independent on the board is pissed at Mur James Murdoch, and they want him to step down, etc. And he definitely knew, and that's why they've had to take this action, which Rupert Murdoch didn't want to take at all. It's kind of a comical punishment, but it is at least a, a, a thing that he's got to overcome, which given enough time, of course he can overcome. His last name is Murdoch. Right. Uh, look, it, it is definitely a comical punishment. And look, everyone can read right through it, right? So their attempt at making matters better with uh, these British newspapers is not making matters better at all. If anything, authorities that are investigating this case and people who are actually paying attention to this trial are going to look at this and they're going to laugh and they're going to think they're even bigger clowns than before. But the whole thing reeks of uh, circus, okay? Yes. Uh, James Murdoch's excuse for not reading a memo that was sent to him that, uh, by the way, he actually did click on and as we know he did read about the phone hacking scandal. He says, oh yeah, yeah I clicked on it and I read the top but I, I, I didn't want to scroll down on my Blackberry. That's why I didn't read the relevant parts of the memo. Oh, come, come, on. On, come 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 on. It's like the world's worst excuse. And remember his other excuse was, I authorized the payments for all the people who got their phone hacked including millions of dollars overall, right? Mm -hmm. But he's like, but I didn't ask what the payments were for. <laughs> I mean, I don't care how large your company is. You're not signing away millions of dollars without asking, hey, what am I giving the millions of dollars for? Anyway, if you are, then if you're actually doing that, then you're the worst boss and the worst manager. And then the independent guys on the board are definitely right. You should be nowhere near management. Mm -hmm. Either way, it's very damning on James Murdoch. Definitely. And you know, what's amazing is like the thought process of the incredibly wealthy, right? Mm -hmm. You can buy anything. In the United States, if you're incredibly wealthy, you buy any politician you'd like. If you're working in the media and you're extremely wealthy, well, duh, all you need to do is buy your sources. You pay them large sums of money, you pay corrupted officials large sums of money, and you get the story. So now we get to the heart of the problem here for News Corp. Okay. So today, uh, Chris Bryant, who is an uh, uh, a politician in the UK came out. He was one of the guys who was uh, uh, tapped, and he got actually a thirty thousand a thirty thousand pound settlement for uh, being uh, for his having a phone being hacked. I should say, um, came out and said, "Hey, you know what? The U.S. should investigate News Corp under the Foreign Cor Corrupt Practices Act because it is inarguable that they bribed cops here in the UK. It's true. There's no argument about that whatsoever." They definitely bribed the cops. Mm -hmm. And that is definitely illegal under U.S. law. And News Corp is based in the United States of America. So if we had any decent Justice Department, they would go, well, this is the most obvious violation of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act ever. It's out in the open. Mm -hmm. 
But our Justice Department is scared to death of Fox News. Can you imagine Eric Holder brings a case against News Corp? Okay, Fox News would be like, oh my God, it's a political case. Eric Holder should step down or be impeached. How dare he? He's after obviously going after his political opponents, blah, 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 blah. Eric Holder shakes in his boots thinking about that. Mm -hmm. He's like, well, it's an obvious violation, but Mike, I, I can't do it. <laughs> they would yell at me, Fox News. When is Eric Holder ever going to do anything? Anything. Let's uh, dig into what uh, what is facing uh, Rupert Murdoch. I mean, there was apparently new testimony, or I should say a public testimony by the lead prosecutor, or I should say investigator, uh, Deputy Assistant Commissioner Sue Akers, who is leading uh, the uh, investigation uh, known as the, I think it's the Levinson investigation in Britain and these allegations are that the son the daily son owned by Rupert Murdoch and News Corp systematically paid bribes to quote a network of corrupted officials in the British police in the British military and in government agencies Akers said that Murdoch had illegally paid unidentified officials hundreds of thousands of dollars in exchange for news tips, or I should say the Sun, paid hundreds of thousands of dollars in exchange for news tips and, quote, a salacious gossip, said the payments had been authorized, and this is what is problematic for News Corp at a very senior level within the newspaper. Now, this is the second newspaper now that has faced these allegations. And she said, Akers speaking, there appears to have been a culture at the sun of illegal payments and systems have been created to facilitate such payments whilst hiding the identity of the officials receiving money. This is very important because if there's a cover-up, there's an indication that people were aware that it was going on. This is the uh, Levinson inquiry. Simultaneously, a lawyer for the Levinson inquiry said that Rebecca Brooks, who was the former Murdoch executive in charge of overseeing uh, the news of the world, was apparently informed by police in 2006 that detectives had evidence of the voicemail hacking. This is also contrary to what she has testified as late as 2010. 
So you now have two newspapers implicated. You have a um, across-the-board evidence of cover-ups that it was not rogue employees that were doing this. When you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars in payments, this doesn't just happen because one reporter is just like, oh, I, I must have had too much lunch that day. They don't just come back and use bad British accents to claim that they've uh, overset. Uh, in fact, Aker said, the cases we are investigating are not ones involving the odd drink or meal to police officers or other public officials. Instead, these are cases in which arrests have been made involving the delivery of regular, frequent, and sometimes significant sums of money to small numbers of public officials by journalists. Emails show that one Sun journalist received more than $235,000 in cash over several years to pay his sources, a number of whom were public officials. She also said that there were emails showing that reporters and officials at the newspaper were afraid of losing their job or getting in trouble with the law because of this stuff. And then on Monday, apparently, there were other uh, testimony in which a former high-ranking police officer said that News International, this is the uh, owners of uh, News of the World, owned a subsidiary of News Corp, had deliberately obstructed police in investigations into the phone hacking. And, and today, there is the latest revelation from the Levinson inquiry that one of their conduits for information, this is one of the news world's uh, uh, main sources, and you can say source or you can say conduits or sources, um, conduits for information from serving police officers, potentially in return for legal cash payments. In other words, people that they've been basically bribing for information, was a private investigator named Jonathan Rees. This was a guy who was investigated and tried for the murder of his business partner. This trial apparently collapsed and fell apart because of the Metropolitan Police's Department's poor handling of evidence. And this evidence dealt with the revelation of these corrupted police officers. And during this investigation into this murder, News of the World apparently provided surveillance resources to the private investigator and harassed detectives on the case who were chasing after this private investigator. So now what you have is they're not only protecting the guy who was paying off the cops, they're protecting him from a separate murder investigation that he was involved with. So I can understand why Rupert is um, floating the idea that maybe James should go to prison, at least on this program. Rupi Murdoch uh, is floating this stuff because um, they're in big trouble, and this is not going to end in Britain. Because 
this was a culture of corruption. If they are found to be paying off public officials, not just from one entity in an isolated instance, but from two separate entities owned by the company, it is very likely that News Corp is going to be subject to the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. Guardian UK uh, quotes Mark McDougall, partner from a Washington office of the law firm Aiken Gump, Strauss, Hauer, and Feld, and a former federal prosecutor. This is obviously a very significant development with regards to the likelihood of a U.S. prosecution. If the British authorities are articulating a pattern, a defined scheme to bribe officials, that's a very big deal. Mike Kohler, professor of business law at Butler University, Last July, when we first started talking about this, there was one newspaper, the News of the World, in one category of foreign official, the police. Now we have another newspaper in a much broader category of foreign officials. The evidence seems to suggest there was a recognition that these payments may have been illegal. This is in reference to the emails that uh, the investigator Akers was talking about. And... Uh, the notion that there were attempts to disguise the nature of these payments. These elements would fall under the jurisdiction of the Foreign Corruption, Foreign Corruption Practices Act. Tom Fox, a Houston-based lawyer who specializes in these cases. Speaking of a culture of corruption is really bad, said Fox. No pun intended. There are two main types of SCPA case. In the first, a company has policies in place but fails to detect corruption. The second is far worse, and that's when there is a program in place and you ignore it. If I was at Fox and Friends right now, I'd be wondering who my new boss is going to be. Hey Jay, this is Jesse from Tokyo. Um, I just wanted to talk about the guy who left a comment last time talking about voting for third parties. Let me say, please, please everyone listening, do not vote for third parties. Um, I personally voted for the Green Party when I was living in California because we are not in a swing state. If you are in a swing state like Ohio or Virginia or something like that, it's crucial that you do not vote for third party because your vote actually counts for the presidency. If Nader was on the ballot in 2000, there's a very good chance Gore would have been our president instead of George Bush. Need I say more? I mean, come on, George Bush was one of our worst presidents ever. And I'm not saying Nader is the reason that he got elected, but had he not been there, there's a good chance Gore would have really won and our country would have been a lot better today. If you want to look at a place that has third parties, look at Israel. Israel has third parties and it's a huge problem because even though the majority of the people don't like the government that's in power, the one group of people who have coalesced enough to actually get people in office are they extremely radical, uh, hawkish people, and it's kind of ruined Israel. What I always say is we got to pull the center to the left. Both parties are always going to be fighting. They're always going to be fighting over the center. Let's pull the center to the left. If we wait and we sit back and we have all these people voting third party, we're just going to be throwing away votes that could get real people elected, and we're just going to continue letting the right pull the center to the right. So that's all I have to say. Great show. Love the music. Love your work. Bye.
Hi, J-Dub in Chicagoland. I just wanted to call and say thanks a lot for putting on the show about uh, what the GOP is doing at the state level. Um, so many people in the general public have no idea what uh, people are doing uh, to take away their rights and make it harder for them to vote and harder for them to uh, collectively bargain and so forth. So, hey, thanks a lot and keep up the great work. Hey, Jay, this is Rebecca calling from Salt Lake City, Utah, the land of the Mormons. Um, I just wanted to respond to the recent outrage against the Mormons with their posthumous baptism of Anne Frank and other Holocaust victims. I'm an atheist now, but I was raised Mormon, and I've actually done some of these baptisms for the dead. But really what it comes down to is that Mormons are fundamentalists, and your clip from the David Feldman show partially described fundamentalism as believing that other religions are inferior, and that is spot on. All intensely religious people are pretty damn sure that they're right about life and that everyone else is wrong. We can pass over how arrogant this is for now just so we can talk about Mormon doctrine. Mormons believe that you can't go to heaven if you aren't baptized correctly. When I say that they believe this, I mean to say that they believe it's a hard fact and they will die to defend this knowledge. It's not really an issue of arguing beliefs because they're positive that they're right. So you can't go to heaven if you aren't baptized. But Mormons have invented a way for unbaptized people to get the necessary prerequisites for heaven. They're not trying to force dead people into Mormonism. They're giving their dead souls a chance to live with Jesus for the rest of eternity. So I, I actually think it's one of the most compassionate things that Mormons do. And I'm getting really, really tired of people hating on them for it. Because there's so many other reasons to hate the Mormon religion. There's the subjugation of women, the hatred of gays, the intolerance of African Americans, the teaching that single people are bad for society, the fear of individuality, the culture of guilt, and you know I could really go on. But uh, thanks for letting me get that side of the story out, and thanks for the work you put into the podcast, and I love the show. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So I've received a couple of really nice emails recently from from listeners who who wrote in specifically to uh, compliment the show on the conversations that have been happening recently, you know, particularly the ones that are, you know, they're really dense and heady talking about, you know, major issues like race relations and uh, women's rights and, and all, all these big things that are not easy topics to tackle and especially not easy for someone like me who does not have, you know, a, a really innate grasp on, on, on these topics. And so, so one of the emails that came in said, uh, said that they were really appreciative of my willingness to be flexible in in my kind of sort of perception of, of these issues and my willingness to change uh, my opinion based on new information. And and to me, I mean, it's second nature. I've, if you've been listening for a long time, you've probably heard me say I have a two-step process to always being right. Step one, whenever possible, just be right, first of all. And step two is if you ever find yourself to be wrong, change your mind. So it's it's pretty simple, but it's it's obviously uh, <laughs> probably a little oversimplified, and, uh, and and so this person who wrote in said, you know, because this this person is a considers themselves a skeptic uh, first and foremost, and uh, and and so really appreciates the the degree of of doubt and flexibility that the that the, these conversations have, have shown, and you know everyone's sort of willingness to 
accept other ideas. So, so I had a conversation back and forth with this guy and I let him know about a quote that I actually only came across really, really recently. It's, it's actually a Confucius quote, uh, but I had never come across it before and it says, only the wisest and the stupidest of men never change. And so as I explained uh, to, to the guy via email, I said that I believe that what this means is that the wisest man never has to change because if you are ultimately wise, then your stance is to be flexible of mind, to be willing to change your mind, to be you know open to new information, to be constantly interested in uh, in, in new new knowledge and expanding your knowledge and, and changing your perspe- uh, perspective based on all that new information that you will continue to get as long as you live. The emailer's perspective on it was, you know, he, the way he heard it, he thought, you know, I maybe it just means sort of a, uh, a a theoretically brilliantly wise person who is simply correct about everything, and therefore they don't have to change. So, you know, either way, t- take take it as you like. The flip side of that, of course, we agreed on entirely, which is that only the stupidest of men never change their mind. Once they have, you know, if they have uh, incorrect assumptions and never are willing to uh, change their thought process on that, that makes you a pretty stupid person. So in the end, the point of the story is uh, for everyone in the middle, if you're not the wisest nor the stupidest person, it is, uh, it is very, very necessary to keep an open mind and, and be willing to be flexible on your perspectives when new evidence dictates. But I did want to add one other topic to, to this d- discussion, which is to say that, honestly, it has not been easy. I haven't really talked about it much on the show, but as we've gone through these conversations about race and about women's rights and so on, it's actually been sort of difficult. And I've I've been uh, I've gotten frustrated. I've uh, you know it's been painful at times. I've had to listen to a lot of people tell me I was wrong and that you don't understand and you can't understand. And for someone who wants desperately to understand. It is, it's really hard to hear, you know, you don't get it, you don't understand, you, you know, you, you don't know what you're talking about, and, and you, you know, it's, it's, in some ways, you can't understand. And so, you know, honestly, I, I haven't really touched on it on the show, like, because when I talk about it on the show, I sort of bring the conclusions I've come to, but I haven't talked a lot about the process by which I've come to these conclusions. And, you know, so step by step, I've sort of like, led you through as, as my uh, opinions have changed as, as new information has come along. But in between each little like five or 10 minute segment of me talking on the show, there's like, you know, 23 and a half hours of me, you know, reading emails and getting voicemails and talking with friends and, and all of these things. And, uh, and honestly, it has not been easy. And uh, so I, I'll, I'll leave it there, but we're going to pick up this topic again and continue this discussion because um, it is something I did not see coming and I think it's a really important lesson to be learned by everyone regardless of what side you're, you come at any of these issues from. So in future episodes as this conversation continues, I think that we will all sort of get a little bit more perspective on how everyone else comes to these these issues and and how difficult it can be regardless of what side you're coming from. So look forward to that.
Now, just to thank a couple of uh, new donors who have donated to my climate ride, Luke and Colin have, have chimed in, bringing my total up to um, within $200 of my goal. Uh, I think $176 would, uh, would get me to my goal of $2,400 raised for uh, climate change organizations. I'm going to ride a bike 300 miles as, as my part of the deal in, in terms of raising that money. So huge thanks to Luke and Colin and all the people who have donated to that so far. Of course, if you would like to support the show itself, you can become a member or donate directly to the show. That is, of course, how the show survives. So please consider that. You can stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining with us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as donating your Facebook and Twitter accounts. That is incredibly important to helping us spread the word that way. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every third day thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Fine, fine, so 